Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Jasmine, and I'm on the radio this week with uh, my co-host Reese and Matthew. Uh, we are recording this on Saturday, February the 10th, 2024, which is also the first day of the year of the wood dragon in the Chinese um, lunar, lunar New Year. Um and it's also Lunar New Year for many other cultures besides just um, Chinese. So happy New Year to all you celebrating and glad to be on the air with the two of you. How's it going, Reese and Matthew? It's going pretty good over here. Happy Lunar New Year to you and everyone as well. Happy yeah, Saturday. Okay. Um, I, I'm doing okay. Not too bad. Um, I just learned about like the type of animal like it's um like you said it was the wood what was it so oh, it's the wood here? dragon yeah the wood dragon i always um did i didn't know that aspect of it until recently uh so it was really interesting do y'all know like your year and element yeah. like for in the chinese um zodiac we're the same jasmine so do you know ours <laughs> Oh, well, you know what? Are we the same? Because you're, yeah, you're February, because the, because it's not January 1st. If you're, it depends on when the Lunar New Year fell in that year. Because 89, like 89 is the year of the snake, but that's after the Lunar New Year in 89. I'm the year of the dog, the water dog. I'm oh. an earth snake. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm also an earth snake. Okay, yeah. Okay, so uh, February. Okay, yeah, for us. Interesting. So we just entered. Yeah. So our age cohort, and my husband is also an earth snake. Interesting. I guess that's why we get along. But we Maybe like so. you too, Reese. Yeah. Water you like dog. The dog. I love the Chinese dog too. Yeah. <laughs> I was like mm -hmm. asking Dre, I was like, do you have a, a year? Do you? Because I was like, I think there's a year of the cat. And there is not, but there's a year of the tiger. So I was like, we'll celebrate you then. Okay. He, he will have his time too. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, on this week's show for local news, we'll be talking about um, police reform in New York City for the NYPD. For national news, we'll be discussing the uh, Secure DC Omnibus Act. And for world news, we'll be discussing the Senegalese elections uh, for president. Uh, so can you start us off with the local news, Matthew? I sure can. Um, okay, everybody. This article is from HellgateNYC.com. The article title is Police Union's Last-Ditch Effort to Scuttle NYPD Reformed, Reforms Fails in Court. Uh, this was published February 9th, 2024 by Nick Pinto. 
The efforts of the city's largest police union to block a legal settlement imposing reforms on how the NYPD reacts to protests were stimmied Tuesday as a federal judge denied their request to block the settlement. The agreement revolves a suite of lawsuits brought against the city and the NYPD by the New York Attorney General and protesters over the police department's violent suppression of the 2020 George Floyd protest and commits the NYPD to a more demonstrably justified and proportional response to protests in the future. Practically speaking, this means that police officers will not be able to kettle protesters and will need to be able to show a demonstrable reason for deploying large numbers of officers or arresting people for low-level offenses. The Police Benevolent Association, which represents 24,000 rank-and-file officers, and which is not named in any of the lawsuits, objected to the settlement, arguing that the that requiring police to have justification for deploying large numbers of officers or escalating their use of force as the settlement does puts the physical safety of police officers in danger. Very laughable. Um, <clears throat> that argument didn't wash with Judge Colleen McManon, who ruled that although the Second Circuit Court of Appeals ordered her in 2021 to allow police unions to intervene in the case, that didn't give the PBA veto power over agreements reached between the plaintiffs and the city to resolve the litigation. As an intervener in the lawsuits, the PBA would have to show that the settlement would cause it to lose a legal claim or cause of action, the judge wrote, and the union failed to do this. The judge agreed with the union that the settlement amounts to a, cons to a consent decree and that for this reason, the judge would toss out the settlement if she found it to be not fair and reasonable and would disturb the public interest. But the PBA's arguments for why the settlement meets these standards are persuasive, McMahon ruled. This provision leaves ample room for officers to make judgment calls in real time, she wrote, and arguments that the settlement is contrary to the public interest are hard to credit when multiple government bodies, both the plaintiff and the defendants, have concluded that the terms of consent degree are acceptable and would not disturb the public interest. The union's argument that the parties should have to prove that there's actual merit to the claims that the city had a pattern and practice of constitutional violations before a settlement is allowed is not simply counterintuitive, McMahon wrote, it's improper. PBA's arguments over the department's deployment policy are just that, McMahon ruled, policy arguments which don't constitute a legal basis for backing a settlement. The next time a peaceful protest is hijacked by rioters, the next time our roads, bridges, or subways are shut down by agitators, New Yorkers should remember that their city chose to encourage these disruptions by signing onto this misguided settlement, PBA President Patrick Hendry said in a prepared statement, responding to his union's loss in court. If the NYPD is unable to prevent future demonstrations from devolving into chaos, the parties who signed onto this settlement must bear the blame. If the union does appeal, it could seek the state of the settlement from going into effect until the appeal is resolved. But unless that happens, the NYPD is bound by the terms of the settlement it has signed. The department must now begin drafting policies and training curricula to bring it into line with the agreement. After the parties have also signed off on those policies and training programs, they will institute a collaborative review committee composed of both the NYPD and a city lawyer and representatives from the plaintiffs and chaired by the commissioner of the Department of Investigation. The committee will meet periodically to review how the NYPD handled specific protests and whether it's complying with the terms of the settlement. The committee reviews won't begin for months at the soonest. In the meantime, New York is in the midst of its first significant wave of protests since the George Floyd uprising of 2020 as demonstrators opposed to the bombing of civilians in Gaza regularly take through the streets in significant numbers. In October, police responded to a demonstration in Bay Ridge, 
was a display of force that likely would have violated the terms of the settlement. On Wednesday, the day after the judge's ruling, the NYPD arrested more than 60 people protesting a fundraising appearance of President Joe Biden for his support of the war on Gaza. When the committee finally does start meeting, it will do so a few times a year for three years. Then after a fourth year, the NYPD will no longer be bound by its commitments under the settlement. Um, so that is where things stand. I mean, we're also dealing with an administration who is very pro-cop and pro-police union. So even holding them to a consent decree, it's only going to go so far. Um, they don't really take anything seriously. So I think it's good um, that the ruling went this way. But even then, at the end, you can see they're only bound at most by four years. Um, but I, silver lining, maybe some good will come out of reviewed protests um, and hopefully kettling is stopped as a practice um yeah i think that i don't know every time they say reforms for police it just sounds like more loops <laughs> to go through to really get them to be held accountable for their actions and stop you know harming protesters for no reasons but i mean it just seems like an endless cycle and you're right, this administration is definitely pro-cop, so it's not ever, I don't think it'll ever be really um, productive in making too many changes. It never really has. NYPD is notorious um, and always has been. And it just seems like, you know, especially with these people that's running New York City right now, it's definitely, we're definitely going to see more than less um, provisions for them, if you will, but yeah i don't really know like it is good that they that the police union failed in this case but i also kind of i worry about the backlash and the way that they will respond like whenever something happens and they don't like it who knows like how they're liable to like escalate and then it's almost like they can take people hostage in a way because they are violence workers like they're not actual workers like who make something like, their whole purpose is to primarily, like, protect power and to protect, like, property. It's not really to serve people or help people. I didn't even know recently, I think, in protest of these reforms. I, I don't know if it was directly in this one that was uh, being mentioned in the article, but they did, like, a long motor, like, protest and formed a column of with their, like, lights on in protest of these things, which is on like budget like it's wasting our money taxpayers money they're uh, putting more exhaust into the air um and it's all for nothing like they just they're being paid overtime the budget's inflated because of them so they're they have so much power in the city it's very scary there was another article on hellgate the current attack with the migrants and the men were arrested and charged, and it was portrayed by the cop, by the NYPD as like an attack on cops. Um, but the video actually shows the men weren't blocking the footage, uh, and the cops kind of antagonized, not kind of, they antagonized the group and started shoving the guy. Um, and the story was like complete opposite of what was being told when it first came out. But now with the actual body cam footage, people have reviewed it and shown that the cops are at fault and instigating. So, and these are migrants. So there's already the administration who's tagging migrants at large in the city and trying to reduce the amount of migrants allowed in the city. Um, 
So uh, yeah, it's it's bad. The city is not feeling very welcoming right now. Yeah, no, and it's really, I mean, it, it happens sometimes, like, with the retail theft panic, too, and then stuff like this, like, by the time, you know that expression where they say um, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth can even get its pants on, and we're also seeing that play out, um, we're talking about the local news story, but even in world news, like, if you're watching uh, what's happening as far as Israel's assault on Palestinians that's been ongoing, uh, since before October, but ever since October 7th, there's been so many cases where there will be a lie put out about like, oh, a Palestinian did this or that, and then it turns out to be completely false. But the by the time that lie has gone out, it's already swayed public opinion in the wrong direction and been used as justification for like more violence. And we see the same thing here. It's like, once you put that out like oh these migrants they they attack the cops they beat up the cops by the time it's it comes out that that wasn't accurate the damage is already done because people have already decided like oh that it's already gone into their mind that like oh yeah these violent migrants we need to do x y and z and it puts all this stuff in motion that doesn't get reversed when the full footage does come out the system is moving against everybody um and you see like all the levers kind of kicking into play um and it's very it's very scary so i hope those men get some um at least representation to help them through the situation because they're probably gonna like move to deportation like i this is it yeah um hoping the best for those people too yeah so once it's your word against a cop like it's very very difficult to turn that around because they can literally say whatever and a lot of these um, newspapers and news outlets they are basically cop stenographers like they'll just report it like whatever they say as if it's a fact before they have the facts and people are so quick to just believe everything that they see and hear and it just makes for a more dangerous situation for everyone those men might not speak English fluently or know what they're signing Then intimidation. How long were they like taken away for by the cops? How long were they like interrogated for without representation? They don't know the U.S. laws or like that's not going to be a system they can navigate. I wouldn't know what to do um, as a U.S. citizen. Uh, I'm sure it's terrifying. Uh, and especially if they're kind of seen as like cop beaters. Oh, there's no one in there that's going to help them. Um, they're pariah. You have a right to protest. The more people don't shut up, the harder it is for them to intimidate everyone. You know, they can't do it to everybody. So the more people stand up to it, the better off everyone will be. All right, you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, uh, sort of in honor of the Lunar New Year, because, you know, this is supposed to be a year of prosperity and wealth. Allegedly, uh, this is LaKaylee 47 with money. We'll be right back. Uh, chillin', laying in the cut though, easy, trying to see what up though, Brooklyn, home of the cut though, notorious, y'all know how the rest go sleepin', one eye open, too smart cause I'm always scoping, watchin'. Seeing how these lames look lazy. This how you get your frame took money. I got money. 
to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our national news story, um, this information comes from the DCist. Uh, that's a local um, news source for Washington, D.C. The title of the article is D.C. Council Votes to Advance 100 Provision Crime Bill by Jenny Gathright. Uh, it's a very lengthy article, and the bill itself is very lengthy, so I'm going to have to cut a lot out for the sake of time, but I do encourage you to look up uh, the DC, uh, the Secure DC Act um, so that you know more about what this is discussing. Uh, DC Council voted on Tuesday to advance Secure DC, a massive 100-provision public safety bill that would stiffen gun penalties create new retail theft-related crimes, and lengthen the maximum prison sentence for repeated theft. On Tuesday, the council amended the bill in the following ways. They struck language in an anti-mask provision that would have made it illegal for residents to wear a face covering while, quote, causing another person to fear for his or her personal safety, um, end quote. The bill still makes it illegal to wear a mask while they intend to commit a crime or intimidate, threaten, abuse, or harass another person. Another amendment eliminated a proposed expansion of DNA evidence collection that would have allowed law enforcement to collect DNA evidence from a person upon, upon arrest. An additional amendment would allow the D.C. government to implement a record-sealing law passed by the council earlier than initially planned as early as later this year should the measure be funded in the dc budget another amendment would sunset the bill's changes to pre-trial detention statutes after 225 days and require that the bill produce a study on its effects before then uh, so this secure dc bill comes on the hills the heels of a year where dc saw more homicides than in any year since 1997 
and at a time when residents across the city are on edge about violent crimes like shootings and carjackings, as well as property crimes like car thefts and retail theft. Council member Brooke Pinto's initial bill reduced public availability of police disciplinary records through the Freedom of Information Act, which had been expanded in a 2022 bill, but hadn't yet been fully implemented. The revisions to the bill open back up public access to sustained and unsustained allegations of officer misconduct and narrow exemptions on the release of officers' medical history. The bill maintains several provisions that have been the subject of fierce debate on the council, including one that would allow the police chief to establish 100 square foot quote-unquote drug-free zones, a narrowed revival of a policy DC initially enacted in the 90s and later repealed. Under Pinto's proposal, police would be able to arrest people who they quote, reasonably believe are gathering in a group to commit a drug offense after they fail to obey police orders to disperse. Proponents of the provision, including DC Mayor Muriel Bowser, insist it will give police an important tool to address residents' rising concern about open air drug markets and violence connected to them. But some members of the public have pushed back against the policy arguing it revives failed tactics from the city's tough-on-crime era and opens the door to harmful police harassment. Some council members have questioned whether it will even give police new tools since they are already empowered to enforce the city's drug laws. Pinto's new amendments require MPD to provide more parties with advance notice about drug-free zones, clarify that the policy is not intended to prevent people from seeking drug treatment services, and institute more data reporting requirements for the police, but largely kept the policy intact. The amendment also clarifies that an area can remain a drug-free zone for at most 15 consecutive days. The bill includes numerous other provisions. Some would tilt the law more in favor of pretrial detention for both adults and children. Another set of provisions create a new crime for organizing retail theft and institute tougher penalties for theft. For example, the amended version of the bill would set a maximum sentence of 10 years for committing at least two thefts within six months when the aggregate value of the stolen property is $500 or more. Overall, the, Levi the Leviathan, uh, and if you don't know what Leviathan means, it's like something that's really big and sprawling. Uh, the Leviathan legislation would create a number of changes to the DC criminal code. The council will vote on the bill a second time, meaning the bill could change again between the first and second votes. Patrice Sultan, who leads the reform advocacy group DC Justice Lab and has been a vocal opponent of the bill, said she's concerned about the way the bill alters penalties, allowing relatively minor crimes to be punished more heavy-handedly than serious ones. If you look at this bill text, a person faces three years of imprisonment for their fourth offense of child sex abuse, but faces 10 years of imprisonment for stealing $500 worth of merchandise, said Sultan. 
This bill sends a message that certain people's property interests are more important than other people's bodily autonomy. Um, and it goes on to say that Sultan is also concerned uh, with the process behind how the bill was introduced, how it moved through the council. Uh, and she feels that the average person in the public doesn't really understand everything that the bill says and how much it would alter the city's criminal justice system. Uh, advocates for criminal justice also see the omnibus bill as overly punitive and that it will dis disproportionately harm DC's black residents. Um, during deliberation and vote that happened on Tuesday, opponents of the bill packed the hearing room with several wearing shirts saying, don't throw DC under the crime bus. Tia Bell, who leads the Trigger Project, an organization that works with young people at risk of becoming victims of gun violence, says she's concerned that the law's focus on prosecution and punishment will ultimately hurt the neighborhoods most affected by the trauma of gun violence. I'm a youth advocate and I see working and advocating for them how they are neglected and ignored. They are not seen or treated seriously until they are shot or do the shooting, Bell says. We are going to suffer, I'm scared. Um, so yeah, like I said, a quite lengthy article and the bill is very long. So, you know, I would encourage people to look it up. If you live in the DC area, contact your reps and let them know what you think about this because, you know, at least some changes were made to it, but it's still pretty scary in my opinion. Uh, so had either of y'all heard about that or what are your thoughts? No, I had not. But I'm also realizing how much I don't know about how DC functions as a entity in our nation because there was That's just a really good point. Yeah, because like there was something recently that like where the House voted, I think the con like Congress voted down their um, massive criminal reform bill, and I didn't understand fully why Congress has any say, but they like voted it down and so I thought that was something so hearing that this is something else is confusing to me and I'm curious to know if this is going to go on to Congress as well do they have say in this too um either way like it seems a full swing the wrong way compared to what was trying to be pushed previously from my understanding I hadn't heard um about it either and it's good to actually think about how DC functions as an entity um, you know, the closest I think I understand is the shit that you watch on TV, right? I mean, art imitates life, but I bet it's all types of um, uh, intricacies of how power is disseminated through that city and for whom and for what purpose um, the cops are actually moving for. But yeah, it's definitely new to me. I definitely want to read more because normally, you know, that could sort of initiate other bills to come through in other places and other large cities um, that will reflect those same things, you know, like one, once it starts somewhere, that's pretty much how power takes over in this country. It's, it's regional, happens uh, one state at a time, one place at a time, before you know it, half the map is on the same thing. So we have to watch closely um, to things like this and how major cities are run, especially because we all live in major cities and it's, you know, I bet it's very different than things are ran in rural America as well. So the District of Columbia has a mayor council government. 
that operates under Article I of the U.S. Constitution and the District of Columbia Home Rule Act. So the Home Rule Act devolves certain powers of the U.S. Congress to the local government, which consists of a mayor and a 13-member council. However, Congress retains the right to review and overturn laws created by the council and intervene in local affairs. So it's interesting, like that word devolve, because we were talking about Northern Ireland last week, like there's similar language there where like you'll have the United Kingdom, like Britain, is technically like still the big overarching government or whatever but they devolve to like these local powers that in day to day like they're in charge of things but britain can still come in and say this or that um ultimately but as far as i can tell like what we're talking about now the secure dc act is you know that's it's between the mayor and the council to vote on it multiple times Um, I did a quick Google. So it was in March 2023, um, Congress overturns uh, the D. I saw it's from NPR. Congress overturns DC crime bill with President Biden's help. So the Senate, the House, and with President Biden's signature, they rejected the proposed reform bill that the mayor and the council had passed. So then that got sent back to them. And this is them, I think, reworking that uh, disapproval from Congress based on the Home Rule Act. Uh, and this is, I guess, the appeasement, which is of can, gonna be much more punitive, much more conservative, especially considering the House and where it currently is, I guess. Um, if I'm wrong, please someone let me know. But I think that's what this process is, maybe. Yeah, I'm very, like, I will say though, that You know, I don't live in D.C., but I've definitely seen um, news and things about things like carjackings and violent crime is real, you know, and it's scary. And those things are they're legitimate concerns that do affect the people living in the area. But this isn't the way. And like, I like that the people in the article were mentioning, like, we've seen this before. You know, we've all lived through the 90s. You know, we might we were young at the time, but that's not that far back in history where like these same tactics were tried and they led to more harm than they were good. Um, And I I bring up this book a lot, but I would definitely recommend if you haven't read Locking Up Our Own by James Foreman, I greatly recommend that book. And it's, he was someone who worked as like a public defender in Washington, D.C., and had intimate knowledge of like what happened when these types of tough on crime laws were passed and he knows that the people living under those conditions like yeah it's scary like if people are like selling drugs or you people get high and like they change from who you knew them to be and they're a totally different person and people are robbing people and getting shot over bullshit those are all like real legitimate things to be scared about and they can ruin your life but like the woman in the article said, Tia Bell, she's like, why is it that you see the swift action to do something once someone has already gotten to the point where it's like, oh, they shot someone or they, they're stealing. But when you're asking about investment to prevent things from getting to that point, like investing in the youth, like making sure people have their needs met, that people aren't being pushed out of their neighborhoods by gentrification, what's the sweeping bill to address that it's nothing 
But as soon as it's like, oh, this is going to hurt tourism. This is going to hurt the businesses. This is, people aren't going to want to come here. Then you see all of this. It's, I don't know. It's very, it's very scary. And especially that anti-mask stuff and the stuff about, you know, if the police judge that they think that you look like you're gonna, that basically means, okay, you're black and you're standing somewhere and they can claim that you, they thought you were going to do anything. Um, it's yeah. always so funny how much these mayors want people to be afraid of their city. <laughs> like, is it a fucking shithole or not? Like, pick a pick a fucking lane. Is it crime-ridden and scary, or do you want people to come and explore your city that's vibrant and bustling and not actually a shithole? Um, ultimately, I feel that um, the times that I've been in D.C., I definitely felt that I need to be on alert that I remember I spent some time in DC when I was living in New York and never lived there though. But the times that I went, I do feel like, you know, there was just like a, an air of kind of like danger, <laughs> if you will. And I'm not saying it just came from people. It was also like the police presence that was there and just kind of, you know, you notice those things when you don't live in a place, when you go and you see the frequency and stuff like that. Um, it is very intimidating to see that um, just police presence in general, but to know that these, uh, sort of laws are being shifted and I don't understand the reasoning like the the level of time someone would get as you were saying the difference between that and uh, someone sexually assaulting a child I think is that what you said oh yeah it was like the maximum was like three years if someone had right. been on their fourth offense for that for something as heinous as that but over five hundred dollars worth of stuff that could have been yeah. stolen because, like, you're on the verge of being homeless. You know, people are like, desperate. Like, like I think food, yeah. priorities are all messed up there. Crazy. That's um, that's wild. Absolutely. And it made me think back to you know, crime is really what's labeled as crime and what gets harshly punished. It's all political. Because we were just talking about the poor man last week, dead on a construction site, life right. gone. And what happens to the people who are responsible for his death, who knew that they, they were told not to be doing that? Fine. They get a fine. They, fine. they just pay their way through their bullshit. You know, people responsible for mass death, mass destruction, misery, no punishment, slap on the wrist. But stuff like this, like that you could argue... You know, when people are desperate, they do desperate things. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that that's what's going to happen. It's going to go down. So instead of taking that seriously and really being committed to addressing it, it's just punishment, 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 repression, repression, repression. And it's a vicious, vicious cycle. And I, I hope that this is defeated in the next round or at least, I guess, more realistically, more substantially watered down. But... It just seems like, you know, same old story that didn't work last time. We tried this 30 years ago, and it was just made things worse. Yeah. All right, so you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our next musical break, this is Beyonce with Diva from her live homecoming album. We'll be right back. <laughs> I'm a 
like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Reese with our world news story. This article is from Al Jazeera, um, and it's from February 8th. The title is uh, Cynical Elections. Why has President Mackey saw postponed voting? And the author is uh, Shola Lawal. Last week, Senegal's president, Macky Sall, unilaterally postponed presidential elections by several months, just weeks before the planned date of February 25th, sparking protests across the country already on edge from months of political tension. On Monday, the National Assembly descended into chaos as opposition members who tried to block a bill cementing the delay were arrested and police fired tear gas at protesters gathering outside. Sal who will end a two-year term tenure on April 2nd and who has stated that he would not run for a third term, said the postponement was necessary because of a dispute over the list of approved candidates for the elections. This is the first time polls have been postponed in the country. There is a speculation that he has delayed the elections because he is not confident about the polarity of Prime Minister Amadou Ba, the candidate for Sal's Beno Bak Yakar, the BBY coalition who has been approved by the Constitutional Council. Ba's office has not commented on the crisis. Many Senegalese are unhappy with the postponement and believe Sal, who has been in office since 2012 and is no longer eligible to run himself, is trying to hold on to power for longer. Opposition parties have launched a legal challenge to reverse the delay. Scores gathered in protests in the capital of Darkour after Sal announced a shift, but they were forcefully dispersed by the police. On February 3rd, after rumors appeared on Senegalese social media about the possible postponement, Sal announced in a televised speech that elections slated for February 25th would indeed be postponed, I believe they said, until December. In his statement on Saturday, Sal said he would work to address issues that had arisen when a handful of prominent candidates were disqualified by the country's Constitutional Council for not meeting set criteria. Questions around whether the council was discriminatory in their selection prompted lawmakers to launch a probe into the accreditation process in January. Among those candidates who have been excluded is Kareem Wade, a former minister of the Sun and former president Adeboule Wade, who was disqualified for having dual French and Senegalese citizenship against the rules for candidates. Wade has lived in Qatar since 2016, and when he was released from prison on a presidential pardon from Saul. 
He was serving a six-year term for corruption and has not attempted to return to the country since then. Earlier, Wade's opposition Senegalese Democratic Party submitted a formal request to postpone the elections. Another popular candidate who have been excluded is Usman Sonko, arguably South's greatest challenger. Sonko, who was placed third in the 2019 elections and who has been chosen, who has been the cause of much political tension in the past three years, was disqualified for having a criminal record after he was imprisoned on charges of corrupting minors and inciting an insurrection in 2023. Sonko is still in detention. And so he's supposed to be the um, candidate who is most liked by most of the youth in the country. Sal said he had signed a decree to annul the rules that require elections to be held after five years. Questions about whether the constitution of Senegalese allows for a president to effectively remove requirements to hold an election through a decree have arisen, but have not been clarified. Sal also announced that he would instigate a national dialogue and take reconciliation measures to resolve the issues within the council without specifying what those steps would be. These troubled conditions could seriously undermine the credibility of the ballot by sowing the seeds in pre and post electoral disputes, he said in a live address, adding again that he has no plans to run for a third term. So there's another part of the article that talks about if he actually has the power um, to postpone them. So that's kind of in question at this point, but it's been done. And uh, how the voters have reacted is the next part. Um, tensions have been brewing in the country since December 2020, when the president made a comment that seemed to suggest he would run for a third term, which is not allowed under the Constitution. South supporters argued at the time that a review of the Constitution was changed, which changed the presidential terms from seven to five years, had reset his terms. The president was first elected in 2012 for seven years and again in 2019 for this time five years. Although Sal stated in an interview in July 2023 that he was not going to run, wide distrust lingered because he has been seen as cracking down hard on the opposition in recent years. In March 2021, deadly riots broke out after Sonko, who is highly popular among the Senegalese youth, was arrested over allegations that he had raped a female massage parlor worker. He also faced a host of legal challenges at the time, including that he had defamed and insulted another politician. His supporters believe the cases are politically motivated and that Sonko is not guilty of any of the allegations. Hundreds of his supporters took to the streets after his arrest in March. Some 13 people died during three days of a countrywide riots as the police cracked down with live ammunition. The Senegalese government also shut down access to the internet during the time of that violence. Um, so that conviction led from his removal from the elections list, but Sonko's lawyers challenged the decisions, leading the Supreme Court declaring him eligible to run in December 2023. However, the Electoral College has not reinstated him on a list of 20 approved candidates. The council said on January 5th that Sonko and his application did not submit proof of funds worth nearly $50,000, which is one of the requirements. Sonko's legal team had previously told reporters that government institutions were frustrating uh, their attempts to obtain all the necessary documents. So they still haven't had an election yet. Um, it's pretty tough in this country. And Senegalese is one of those countries, one of the only countries in West Africa who has never had a coup d'etat. A lot of people are saying like the way that he is moving is kind of like 
leading to that, you know, some of the language that he's used in like gathering the National Council and going over constitutional documents and things like that is things that, you know, people who want to lead a coup has said. But I think what one of the things that trigger me most to read this article and talk about it is like what we're dealing with in our country. And, you know, um, these per, these persons, these candidates have had, I guess, way more severe charges and allegations and been to jail and all these different things. Um, so it's just interesting to me to see, you know, how this is being handled. I was asking Jasmine earlier, could you imagine the U.S. postponing um, the election in November with all of the fucking chaos that's going on with Trump? I mean, yeah, I can. Um, I mean, what you said with those, like, serious allegations, but, I mean, the former president is, I mean, all of those things, realistically, he just hasn't yep. been, like, put in prison. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, as you were reading the article and things that were happening, I was, like, the interesting rise and connection of all the dictators we're seeing really kind of th- lean into that election fraudulent fraud. Um, a lot in South America, Bolsonaro in Brazil, Jasmine. Who was the the, the chainsaw wielder? That was Millet, right? Millet, yeah. in Argentina <laughs> with that. the with the bad wig. Yeah. Wig. We'll destroying, call him wig. And their hair is horrible. Uh, but it like destroying, like the, con- quote unquote conventional ways in which these things were kind of going, in in quote unquote normal times. Um, and they attack these like elections, the people, and they're like, no, the Constitution. I wonder, too, you know, like there's, um, especially with Senegal, Senegal being a former French colony, mm-hmm. and there's, some, there's the other countries that have had, recently had coups, or like the military has taken over the government and taken... Um, more aggressive not let me not say aggressive like a, in a negative way but they've taken more concrete steps to get western um well, mostly european influence out of their country and you know sometimes i wonder like sometimes when you hear people say that such and such country is stable what they mean is that it's still amenable to like western interests and doesn't really rock the boat too much so i can't say that that's the case with senegal but that is one of the things i was thinking that yeah they haven't had a coup and i'm not saying like coups are great you know but when you have someone that's trying to hold on to power for too long or Mm -hmm. people are used to being in a certain position and they don't want the status quo to change like I think maybe the young people are onto something that we're protesting against this man. And I know we talked about Sanko before, I, I want to say over a year ago, because I remember that story about him um, having been accused of raping someone. And I, I have no reason to disbelieve that. Like the, whatever the, per, the man's politics might be, that's extremely common and it's not acceptable. Exactly. You know, <laughs> definitely. President Trump has been accused of way more than that with multiple people. Yeah, and, you know, let's not forget, so has Biden. You know, so have many of these politicians. You know, so I, it definitely seems like a super complex situation, and I hope it just, it's not, I hope it's resolved without too much more violence because that's always my hope. Like, when things start spilling over into 
the military's taking over and stuff like that. Like even if the cause might be a good cause or, or the goal ostensibly is good, like it's really the everyday people then suffer like when that starts to turn in that direction. Yeah, and if um, the government is listening, mind your fucking business and stay out of it. Like, the people can, <laughs> like, we can mind. Yeah, we're not doing well here. Like, leave the fucking people alone. Yeah, well, I just hope that, you know, they said he postponed it until um, December, which is quite a long time. Yeah, that's a year. Um, that's what, like, yeah, it was supposed to, the election period was supposed to be like September. February 4th to the 25th. That's the campaign period. So he did this right when they were supposed to start, you know, campaigning and having the election. Um, his term is over April 2nd. I mean, it's very, so, yeah, so it's very loose. The timing is very interesting. And, how like, this is awesome. and who do you vote for? Do you vote for, like, someone who's been arrested for rape? Or do you vote <laughs> for someone who's, like, a dictator? Um, it's just like it is in America, isn't it? <laughs> so different yeah i've always wanted to visit senegal honestly like i've always wanted to visit dakar those plane tickets are super expensive but yeah because like the two main people i'm like you know what this maki sal is wrong however both of these other two people sound I'm like you got one that's like okay he's the son of like the ex-president right but he's been wasn't he arrested for corruption you said and he yeah he's he was living for corruption i'm like yep. oh my good so lord there, so there was there is one candidate i don't know if i actually read that paragraph um i think i did in the beginning um his last name is ra he is the person who they the uh uh they want to be in office, but he's like a nobody. Nobody knows anything about him. He doesn't have any um, history being in elections. Uh, Amadou Ba, Prime Minister Amadou Ba, that is the candidate that South people want to elect, but people don't know anything about him, and he doesn't really have any political background for them. It's, and he's not commenting, so this is very interesting how that little piece is like, well, this this. so he's scared this guy don't have enough popularity. Then the other two crazy people. I see. I see. One's still in jail. It's all kind of stuff going on. The Sunko dude is still detained. I mean, that's... That's... I see what... I see what you're saying now. Because it's like... Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the thing about populism and the way things can go in a democracy. You know, it's like the person who is the most popular with the people could be popular with them for a variety of reasons that don't necessarily mean like they're like the best person. I mean, what's his name? Mr. Wig Chainsaw. He, he slid on through, like he won a lot of votes. What was his platform? A bunch of nonsense. It's what you're saying, but like that you're like what you're saying that links all these stories too, right? Like the mayors of the cities, like that power corrupts. They are all like once, like they become the snakes, snake oil salesmen. Of selling the bullshit um and people are buying it hook line and sinker i could see being like i don't want my country to be given exactly. over to one of these type because he might know that it's gonna lead to bop 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 but then at yeah, the same time it, you can't hand pick the person that's true that's true i'm wondering why this other person is not popular with the people like what's up with bob yeah um, I, I guess that's what I need to find out next. But um, 
you know, that's a good point you made. And I think that's why he's trying to pull down his presidential power. Um, but it's interesting, right? I mean, so when he, his term is over on the second and they don't vote till December, what, what's, what's that? What's, what is going to happen? That, that's, that that's where it gets interesting. That's going to be the constitutional crisis uh, for exactly. them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious to know about those updates. Yeah, hopefully they get through it without any military mess. Like, put your guns down, everybody. Talk about it. You know that that lapse in power. That is when normally coups happen. Exactly. That is is creating a situation for a coup. So it's a vacuum. You got to put in the work to win people over with popular policies that they understand will help them you have to communicate that and it has to be clear and it has to be real so people want to vote for you too many of these politicians think that they can just win by default because they think the opposition is so kooky and wild it's like nah you have to it's unfortunate but you kind of have to like play into human nature of like what people want what people need like basic day-to-day stuff you can't turn your nose up at it and then act shocked that a person who does have that message but is a wackadoodle is winning more than you are you know but Sal seems to think he can just do this funny business and it's not gonna end well because even if he does have the right idea as far as who is the best he can't you can't single-handedly just make it happen because you don't like so-and-so like even if his intention is right. oh he it's for the good of the country it's not to the outside people who are not fully tuned into your politics it's looking real dicta- like really dictatory right now yeah there's 120 members of their national assembly and majority of them voted yes on this bill to halt the election so i mean there seems to be some level of unity amongst that group of people but i just hope that they have a plan you know, of, of what to do, because, you know, if there is no other persons to take over, then, then what happens, you know, but the, the person who, um, Ba, Amadou Ba, he has served as the prime minister in Senegal. He does have history working within the government. So, you know, it says he was the prime minister of Senegal from September, since September 17th, 2022. And he also was the foreign minister from 2019 to 2020 and the Minister of Finance from 2013 to 2019. Bon courage pour la suite. Good luck, uh, Senegal. Mm-hmm. I hope things turn around in a nonviolent way, but in a way that benefits the people for real, because, I don't know, things are looking pretty dicey worldwide. Yeah. All right. Uh, you have been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more local community-based Brooklyn radio. And for our last song, uh, we're going to play you out with a track by Zhang Zhaoying. This is Gongxi Fa Chai, which means may you be happy and prosperous um, in the new year. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Love the Aquarians in your life. Bye. <laughs> 一阵阵的春风